Hello, welcome back to the Masonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly and social manner. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed here are solely the opinions of the participants and do not represent any Grand Lodge statements or positions. Make sure you keep your conversations open for the public and on the level. To interact with us, we love seeing you live on Thursday night in the YouTube or the Facebook stream, so keep those chats coming. And as always, uh, if your chat's... Uh, are good they might end up on the show so we'll see you there Uh, and if you can't catch us live catch us on your favorite podcasting app shortly after we go live so thank you very much you know me that's me john ruark past master of the patriot lodge number 1957 in fairfax virginia next up for his introduction joe martinez what's up brother joe Ooh, hello joe martinez hello hello joe martinez uh that's me i said my name like three times so we've established that i am he Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Um, still, still, Worshipful Master, Manassas Lodge number 182 in Manassas, Virginia. Super fun times. Uh, damn glad to be here. Good luck on your stay of tomorrow. Thank you. Next up, Robert Johnson. hey You're on mute. Do you remember how to do a podcast? No, I, I forget. Buttons. <laughs> uh, Robert Johnson, uh, past master, Waukegan 78, current sitting secretary over at Space Novum, uh, 1183 in Libertyville, Illinois, the premier education lodge in the state of Illinois, where tomorrow we're going to screen the uh, Three Initiates book made into the movie, uh, which is what? The Kabbalion. So nice. Yeah. Ooh, where'd you get that? Yeah, the movie. Where'd you get that? I want the movie. I want the Cliff Notes movie version. It's uh, Mitch Horowitz uh, produced it. Oh, it's real short. It's like forty minutes, but it's good. He does a good job with it. It's not like overly crazy. It's pretty cool. Nice. You're like you're like super advanced and stuff. I make people read books and and they get all. Just, it's like just, reading rah! can i get the can i get the summary on youtube or chat yeah. that's all I yeah there's there's no need to read I, anymore oh my <laughs> goodness that's amazing i love the future all right. uh let's move on to a special shout out and thanks to the patreons who support the show you guys are awesome if you want to support the show patreon.com slash masonic roundtable see you there now tarot card of the week we're gonna limit our selection Robert is going to handily draw only one of the suits for us. Which one? Yeah, we're going to go with pentacles or coins. So uh, for this this week, uh, I'm using a deck called the Antique Anatomy Tarot. Uh, It's pretty rad. I don't know if you all like um, that kind of thing, but I'm very into antiquarian stuff. So um, anyway, the uh, back of the cards look like this. I have uh, removed all of the pentacles slash coins as this deck refers to it and uh just right a boom okay so we got a page is it page page of coins page mm-hmm. of pentacles Ooh. nice that's pretty All right yeah. so it's like a baby you know yeah. with the open fountainella it's all baby the little fountain right you guys yeah. know about the soft spot you hit it and then like it's called the fountain because it bleeds like a fountain if you hit it <laughs> Wow. My whole, it my shoots whole, out. All, all of this is is that yeah right yeah. there but you're a knucklehead you got you were in the military you, you're you have no sagittal sutures anymore you're just a big you just got a big you just have a big chunk of 
Listen, Whatever. guy, yeah. okay, you don't just leave for a couple of weeks and you come back and just start yelling at people about the, <laughs> Start talking about their surgical sutures. My surgical sutures and stuff. <laughs> Shut up. What's the card mean, John? Page of coins, page of pentacles. Uh, that's a really good card because it's about uh, usually new new beginnings, new financial things, new jobs, right? Um, you're kind of going, maybe gold. gold. Yeah, gold. you're actually going on, an, on a new material endeavor, right? So whenever you whenever you draw that card especially upright you know it tells you like hey you know you're at the beginning you're almost like the fool of a, you know, a a financial journey right you're at the beginning and there's you know, the world's your oyster but you're also a little bit foolish too because you're you're young you're immature um so it also means be a little careful right don't uh don't, don't get throw the, money at bed. Don't get the extra salad bar at the Sizzler. Just go for the main, <laughs> the main right. dish. Don't fill up on rolls. You've got to yeah. you got to stick to the steak. I think a lot of times I think about these things a little bit different than than some some folks, but I totally agree with John in this. I, I like your analogy there at the beginning of of a new venture. I think that's spot on. Mm-hmm. That's what I would choose it to be like. You know, if it was in masonry or something, you know, maybe I'm going to go to a new position. A lot of us are are gearing up in here and. Who's gonna be who in the Grand Lodge this year and appointments and all that stuff? So maybe um, Joe, okay. maybe third time, third time's a charm, Bubby. Hey, 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 hey! We do hey. things in threes in masonry, Joe. Like, like hell, we do. <laughs> no, we don't. Awesome. <clears throat> okay, so here we are on our four-part series, not three, on the classical elements. So we kind of did an intro last week, but now we're gonna do a show deep diving into the specific ones, starting. With the foundation, with the the prima materia, the earth. So tonight we're going to talk about a lot of different aspects of why this classical element was used, how it was used through history, uh, some of the symbolism, and other things that go with that. So it'll be a lot of fun, a lot of correspondences. So strap in and let's go do it. So um, as with most things, I like starting with the, the historical. Like where did this come from? Where did it start showing up? Um, how was it used um, operatively before we start going into the speculative aspect of this? So I know Joe's done some historical research, and we'll we'll hand the talking stick over to him. Well, I wouldn't call it operative. I, I saw I saw your analogy, but I mean we're all everything I'm going to be talking about is absolutely religious based. Um, you know, yes. rooted in the beliefs of all of these people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's not we're not going to p- talk about taking dirt and making a pile like you did when you were three and. You know, making mud, mud cakes yes. and, mud pies and then eating them. Yeah, we're not doing that. So, but we are going to talk about the history, at least the historical aspects that archaeologists and studiers of ancient cultures can attribute to different cultures based on their pronouncements about the element of Earth. And we started with Earth, right? And John mentioned it because it's the lowest element of the four. We're not going to talk about the fifth one. Um, great movie. Go watch it. It's got uh, what's his face in it. Um, Bruce Willis. Yeah. But um, yeah, let's talk about the element of earth. So the oldest religious based texts that we have obviously come from Mesopotamia, right? The cradle of existence and earth was absolutely linked to goddesses that archaeologists have been able to uh, glean for us, you know, the goddess uh, Ninersag or Ki. And to them, when they talked about earth, especially in a spiritual context, they talk about the fertile soil and plants growing, agriculture and life growing. Um, so the ancient Mesopotamians, the ancient Sumerians, they also believe that humans were created from clay. We hear that elsewhere, right? In other um, 
religious stories. So they did talk about a direct connection between us as human beings and the earth that we came from, you know, the dust of the ground. Sounds like something that came out of a book that many of us read um, because a lot of those creation stories came from the same source. So, you know, if we're traveling forward in time, we're next going to go to, you just put me on the bottom. It totally just messed up my, my whole spatial. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> so uh, let's go next to Egypt, the fun place to be. So a lot of fun stuff about earth in Egypt. So um, just like Robert's doing with his hands, uh, there were two gods named Geb and Nut, and they were brother and sister. And nice. Yeah. Well, no, it gets weird. So <laughs> the primordial deity, you know, and Geb and Nut, they absolutely loved each other. So, and they loved each other a bit too much. So Geb represented the earth and Nut represented the sky. So the ancient god Ra didn't want them to be doing the hanky-panky anymore. So he separated them. So he separated Geb, the earth, from Nut, the sky. And you may have seen those hieroglyphics. I should have brought a picture up. But um, Nut, you'll see pictures of Nut and Geb where Nut is um, basically, you know, uh, like stretched out over Geb and as their father or grandfather is separating them, Nut forms the sky and becomes the starry, the starry deck canopy, as it were. And Geb represents the earth, the fertile earth. So the Egyptians believed that the earth and the sky were brother and sister and who were not allowed to... There, thank you so much. Okay, so that's Geb. And they're still kind of close, right? But as time goes on, they start to get further and further apart so much that the earth is separated from the sky. So... Another big part of uh, earth symbolism to the ancient Egyptians had to obviously do with the Nile River. The Nile was the source of, of life for that entire culture for, you know, 5,000 plus years. So when they thought about the earth, they thought about the Nile flooding, things growing, agriculture, a time of plenty, things like that. And I think Robert had something to add, too, when it came to ancient Egypt. Oh, I was just like half joking, right? That the idea of being illuminated uh, made it so that like the sun god Ra wouldn't necessarily just give them the uh, the inclination to know that perhaps inbreeding is not a good idea according to biology. And, well, yes, you do. Yeah, over time, you'll see that that's bad, you know, especially when you go to certain places in, in like this country, for example, you see very real examples of that. But uh, all kidding aside, what I find super interesting is that he was really mad at Geb and Nut, but all the other children that came from that and the grandchildren that came from that were all brother and sister. Osiris and Isis, brother and sister. And uh, Epis, yeah. brother and sister. So maybe he was not paying attention. Maybe he was off that day when everybody picked pairs. You know, but the whole the whole concept of this sort of ideology, I think that it's fun to like think about and play games with, but if it's all just um, you know, differentiating factors of the one being, right? Then, you know, an intercourse between the two only leads to the uh, proliferation of uh, even more and more other, um, you know, divine attributes or other gods, right? So this is really just, I, you know, the anthropomorphizing of all that, I guess. 
Well, absolutely. And that's, no. that's, that's how the ancients did everything, right? They anthropomorphized everything that they could see. Everything in nature um, had to be associated with something so that they could understand it. And that is ancient cultures, folks. So, yeah, Egypt. Um, what else do we want to say about Egypt? I mean, there was a lot of, and I know John is going to dip his toe into the symbolic aspects and things like that. So we'll stay away from that as well. Um, so what about... Like our, so our, our oldest religions, right. is like animism where we're, we're literally worshiping the animals and the ground that they walk on and they live on the ground. Not like, you know, well, we all did, but they had, you know, to the, to ancient man, these are the spirits that have been there forever. So um, not only that, but what I think is really interesting and, you know, this is a little bit ancient aliens. Um, if you want to think about it that way, um, this idea that the ground itself um, think about it um, metaphysically in terms of an actual ground, um, like electrical engineering. Um, but aside from that, the idea that uh, we seem to have latched onto the idea of ground as a foundation um, for uh, the development of man, right? You talked about from the dust and all of those things and, and uh, all the various cultures who make man out of uh, mud and the, you know, the, the gods breathe life into the clay man and all of those things. But what's really interesting about that is all of that seems almost archetypal to the scientific explanation of how the species began from an earth, a impact with a proto planet to the uh, inevitable uh, uh, construction of the moon uh, which creates the tides, which begets organisms and life. So yeah. it's crazy that, you know, we've got these ancient tales, but they're they're true on a level. Right, right. Yeah, I, I love that, you know, what they call it, cosmogony, right? That explains the mytho mythological creation story. And while we have a lot of common themes, and I love that stuff, right? When you look at common themes throughout cultures, throughout history, you put them all together, you step back, and you can actually start seeing how modern science is describing the how of the what they described. And and uh, I'd agree with you there, too. And, you look, and look at, like, um, you know, even some of the, like, the Druids, right? The, uh, and early, so why do we do that? There. I'm like, like, I want to pose this to Joe. I mean, in all of your studies right now, um, past, present, future, right? How do we as a culture, as a species, start to acknowledge the fact that, yes, we can believe in these mythologies, but those mythologies are not being literal. And then the acceptance of the fact that those mythologies might actually be, you know, talking about real life, you know, concrete things that were just we look at differently like you know when when you read the the bible right like at the usually at the end of the story it would say this is the gospel according to whoever you you would read the text and then came the title and the, you know putting the title first only is a you know as a modern adaptation or like those weird kind of nuances and how we we think about how they thought about the past it's almost like they're a completely different species unconnected in a conscious way to the way we process information today. But they weren't right. So you kind of sneakily asked five different questions and made it one question. So yeah, sure. Whatever. We're gonna, yeah. You're, you're in a mood today. So, 
Um, <laughs> let's take the first one first. So, uh, you know, talking about man's understanding, uh, the cosmogony, right? Man's understanding of his place in the world, right? It always starts from whether you, you whether you lived 8,000 years ago or you live today. It always starts with an understanding of what you think you know right now, right? Before you learn anything new, before subjects are brought into your head and you process that information, you're like, holy crap, I know more things, right? I've gained knowledge. Before any of that, it's the stuff that we innately know, right? Whether we learn from as little babies from our parents or from the community that we lived in, that kind of thing. None of that stuff's changed, right? We just have access to more information and more technology, right? But, and I think John hit it on the head before where let's take, and without trying to get super religious into it, let's take the story of Genesis, right? Which is one of the older creation myths. And we absolutely know that. And when I say myth, I say a story of a people, right? Um, not trying to, to using, make anybody angry. the term correctly. Words right? mean things. Good. A mythos, yes. So, in that part of the world, there are lots of similar stories that ring the same as Genesis does, right? The, the, the way the things happen and the descriptions and how they happen and what was left for us written for us to then interpret later, whether to Robert's point, allegorically or literally or, um, you know, with a sense of symbolism to it. That's besides the point. That's the way that they understood the world. And if you actually pull Genesis apart, they do a pretty damn good job of explaining how things happen and the order in which they happen. Right? right. So, you know, I'm a big proponent of taking things like the creation stories of old cultures and comparing them to, you know, our modern understanding of cosmology and the Big Bang. And it's like, holy crap, they actually line up. Um, exactly. But again, to, to, to Robert's point, it really has to do with what access to information you have at that moment in time. And that was the, the language that they used. And that was the words that they spoke. And that's what they shared and taught to their progeny. So... But again, it's it doesn't it doesn't make us better. It just makes us different by having access to more things. You know, they didn't have a Hubble Space Telescope or a James Webb. Right. Yeah, you can't you can't explain quantum mechanics to like a fisherman. No, you can't. But to your right. point, quantum mechanics and quantum entanglement, you find those concepts in lots of ancient cultures before right. they could even define those words. You know, and come up with a quanta. You know, so yeah, it's it's fantastic and it's super fascinating and I love it. And I, there were three other questions there and I didn't answer them, but that's okay. What ifs? What I was back. Ew. Next, next, uh, ancient. So yeah, reference. let's get into, so if we're leaving Egypt, let's get into, um, I guess you could call it the Hellenization of Egypt, right? You had the Macedonians come and then you have the ancient Greeks and they're all living around the same time. But you know, when you start to get into Greek mythos or Greek mythology, you have actual to Robert's point, personifications of things that stood in place for other things. And we always think, you know, people when they study Greek and sometimes Roman mythology, even though I hate pointing to Roman mythology because they stole everything from everybody, right? They were the perfect thieves. Um, they, uh, we always tend to think when we're reading stories about Zeus and Athena and, and Hecate and stuff like that, that they, a lot of the people literally believed that, hey, the, there was a Zeus and hey, the, there was an Athena. No, they were personifications. And there were just as many people then that believed, hey, this is an allegory for this as opposed to a physical thing that I need to worship and adore. They had the same strata of people with their religious beliefs that we do today, right? So, but back to the point about the element of earth, they had a personification and it was Gaia, 
right? Super awesome uh, uh, pay-per-view TV channel nowadays. If you're if you're on the web, I was about to throw that out there. Good Love job. It. Love it. Been a member for two years now. Um, but Gaia was one of the primordial deities, right? Gaia was the Earth, um, and she was definitely on the, like I said, in the more the Titans aspect um, than one of the Olympian gods. She came before all the other ones. So the Greeks did believe that everything started, came from the dust, and then eventually returned to the dust as well. And then when you get into some of their other stories in their religious context, then you start to talk about what happens underneath the ground, the underworld, caves, things like that. Lots of symbolism there in their religious aspects as well. So Greek, super fun. What else? So we can leave Western culture if you want, and we can let's move a bit more east, maybe. Let's, let's go east. Let's go east. So in ancient China, uh, the elements of Earth, we talked about it last week. The ancient uh, Chinese cultures absolutely talked about the four and most times five elements. Um, and that's how they understood. And John left. Um, that's how they understood the world that they lived in through five elements. Um, and Earth was absolutely one of them. And Earth represented. Yeah, there you go. Good book. Uh, Earth associated stability or is associated with stability and uh, acting as the balance for all the other elements. So back to Robert's point about being a grounding element for the ancient Chinese, it absolutely was. And it was represented in their cycles. And we showed some last week, we showed some, we showed a native American medicine wheel and we showed some other ways to interpret the four different elements. So yeah, absolutely. Ancient India, the same thing. Um, but again, it looked like most of the Eastern cultures had five elements as opposed to the traditional four that we prattle on about. Um, but they did have a personification as well. And again, this was another culture that looked at Earth as a mother figure, right? Where things come from, where things mother are Earth. Wow. Earth. Wow. Yeah, right on. And then finally, if we get into more recent peoples, we're talking about the Native Americans and the ancient Mesoamericans, you know, very similar peoples, but all of them in any of the American continents had a much deeper reverence for all things Earth that came from the Earth than any other cultures, right? either today or in the past, you know, they absolutely respected and revered the earth and those that still survive still do to this day. Right. So, um, yeah, again, that's a little smattering of what people believed way back hey, in the day. A quick question. When you were looking at the research for this and you, you saw some of the other cultures that had the, the five elements were most, uh, if you don't know, don't, you know, that's okay. We can find out, but I want to see, is there a common theme of the quintessence across some of these that have the five. I know that the Chinese, they had like metal, right? And they had- Well, they had metal wood. They had fire, earth, uh, wood, metal, air, right? Right. And so, no, there were some variations. Um, mm -hmm. I think when you get back into Western culture, you then start to see the, and it starts with the Greeks or the earliest writings we have is of the Greeks or the proto-Greeks, right? Right. Mm -hmm. um, you start to see the void or the ether, right? Popping okay. up with the fifth element. Right, um, right. But to your point, you see in a lot of the Eastern cultures, different elements, metal, gotcha. wood, okay. things that cool. they could touch and grab. And we, and we covered that last week, I think, as well, right? Um, yeah, just at a, at a greater well, a greater spectrum. And just for anybody watching, like you hear those words like ether, uh, I use that term quite often to just kind of refer to like to some place beyond, I don't know what it is, right? But like this is a term that was coined in early spirituality that was abandoned by like the fifties and sixties actually, uh, because they actually thought that the ether was a sort of actual scientific, like 
gas <laughs> or something well, it was a, a physical it, thing right yeah mm-hmm. right it was another just, it, was, it was another state absolutely i mean it was around in scientific communities until 1905 so you know people actually had to disprove ether but they couldn't figure out how things like light traveled in a vacuum so they had that placeholder thing ether and that's where they would stick it in um in scientific papers and stuff through the 19th and the early 20th century yeah Cool. Love it. I'm sure there's uh, many other cultures that, that we could find other things, other parallels too, but. Well, that's all I have notes on. So boom. that's bad. Yeah. So if you could just double that and give it to the next person, that'd be great. All right. So um, let's talk symbolism here. So <clears throat> one thing that um, I actually have, I did a research paper for my um, uh, SRICF college and I'm going to kind of, pull pieces out of this because I actually looked at the, like the four worlds of uh, the Kabbalah and how it relates to like the four, four classical elements and then other correspondences as well. So there will be weak links between these things. And so, you know, my advice is to just kind of take a step back and just kind of close one eye and turn your head and see how these things kind of fit together. They're not going to be, it's not a direct correlation, right? It's going to be, um, how's it going brother Ray? So it's, it's something that isn't provable, but it, it's when you step back and look at all the pieces together, again, commonalities, you start to see patterns emerge. And that's that's what I find fascinating. <clears throat> so when you look at starting with Earth, it's it's the it's the basis of the symbolic classical elements, right? It is the grounding part like we talked about, it's the lowest you can go before water and then you know air and fire, right? So usually when you have the symbolism of this found in um, allegorical interpretations of, of the Bible, including the book of Genesis, um, you're really looking at the material level. So that's why we, we pulled from the, the tarot deck, right? The, the pentacles. <clears throat> we said last week, pentacles is a, um, is a suit that relates to the material world, material wealth, you know, tangible things that, you know, material things that are going to happen in your life, right? And then the other suits then therefore correspond to other, uh, other aspects of your nature. Um, and that was done purposefully uh, by brother um, uh, A.E. Waite, who designed the you know the Rider Waite system uh, that we we kind of use and, and riff off of for quite a bit. Um, in, in addition, <clears throat> so that's that's just kind of setting the stage, right? If we're going to treat the classical element Earth as the foundation, as the material world, um, when you look at it from a Kabbalistic system, right? Then you're looking at like Malkuth. You're looking at the very bottom of that of that tree of life. You're talking about the actual practical manifestation of of all that has come down from heaven. Okay. Um, therefore, it is it is creation. It is where we are on this practical plane. And so that means that when we talk about these other elements, it's going to go up from there. Joe, you had a question or? Yeah, I was going to ask you because you said you said two things. Um, you started off by saying that it's. Earth's the lowest of the four elements, which we know, right? Because we're standing mm-hmm. on it. And I loved your weird uh, Mariana's Trench uh, analogy from last week that I'm still trying to figure out. Um, I'll work but, on it. Yeah, every, every, yeah, work on it. Everybody watched last week's show. <laughs> um, but it can be described in both a negative sense and in a positive sense, right? Because mm-hmm. so, you know, you were talking about Earth being the foundation, the primordial place where all things happen. Robert's talking about you know, this is where life came from, right? The moon spins around, makes the tides, makes water slosh around, and boom, magic proteins. But 
you know, it also gets talked about, you know, when we're talking about the elements in a negative context, right? That's where all the bad crap happens, right? Down on the ground. That's where you poop and that's where snakes crawl and that's where bugs are. And it's got this negative overtone to it. So for me, it's, it's interesting, like, which is the, which is the right way to look at it, right? Mm -hmm. That's yep. a question. My way. That's the right way. All okay. Right. Thank you. So mo moving on from there. Um, so when I started doing research for this, I noticed other four tiered systems that start to have similar correspondences. So for example, we've talked about, um, the Pardes, uh, exegesis method, uh, for interpreting texts like, like, uh, the Torah and, and the Bible. Right. And that, that comes from an acronym, uh, that means, you know, paradise, right. That's where we get the word paradise from Pardes. And it's, um, the, the P in part in part is actually, uh, stands for the word Peshat, which is the lowest of the, um, the ways that you read biblical or, you know, religious texts. And so, uh, Peshat literally means the surface or the straight or literal meaning of the text. Right. So, um, which I like because that's, that, that was my approach to, to reading the Bible before I knew all these other allegorical ways of reading it. Right. It was, this is the literal word of God. This is like the words on the page are the word of God, um, depending on your translation. And, and so from there, it, it's, it's the foundation. Like you should know what the literal words say before you start advancing up and reading in between the lines of whatever religious text uh, and getting, higher orders of interpretation from there. Right, Robert? I would say yes, but also to understand the context because, there, okay, so there's, there's something that is really, I think it's hard for people to understand. Oh, yeah. And this is that uh, the literal interpretation for you is not the literal interpretation for somebody who was living 2,000 years ago. Um, and in fact- Or for the author. Right. And so let's just pretend that one day it's uh, 10,000 years ago and John's super smart and he writes a book. And 5,000 years later, there are some, I don't know, cool sort of Gnostic folks that, that follow the Church of Gnostic John, and they decide to interpret your text 500 years after you did, uh, and you go, wow, that's crazy. Um, not you particular. Yeah, the that is you. not what I meant uh, at all. And you say, well, okay, so so you're dead and gone, and, and these people, 500 years after you die, determine what you've said through their process of exegesis, which is essentially applying uh, their knowledge of the language in which you wrote at their time, which is 500 years away from when you wrote it. And, and then, let's say, a thousand years goes by from that 500-year point. So it's 1,500 years after you've died. We've got an entirely new uh, system of, of people who are performing exegesis who are um, now a part of a world where there is a, a dogmatic sort of uh, authoritarian view on the text of John. And so... Uh, they say everything that those those Gnostic John people wrote is wrong. What we wrote is right, and we continue to define that today. So in their common uh, sense, right? And so the the error here is to automatically assume that an old that that say a Gnostic version of something, you know, people who studied what you wrote 500 years after would actually understand it better because they live closer to the time the language is written. Right. It, has, it hasn't had time to diverge or dilute. Were you talking about a hypothetical? Because that's literally what happens today <laughs> on the daily. Yeah, yeah, I know. 
Yeah, oh, I know. I was, I was just throwing, I'm just throwing, you know, uh, shade where, where appropriate. Yeah. Um, and so okay, I, love I love it. This is a, this is a, this is a major problem that we deal with today. I, I think there's some oh, great yeah. people on TikTok. Um, I can't remember dude's name, but he's friggin' pretty phenomenal blast dudes on the daily, but he's always super kind about it. But, but these are the kind of things that we're, we're looking mm -hmm. for in, in understanding these yep. things. So great, great points, John. To, just to put a cherry on that, because I loved what you said, and I think it is very relevant, and it does it does speak to the topic we're talking about today. But it's so interesting how many people will come off as an informed person by sticking to something that was, like you said, for if we're talking about a two thousand or three thousand year old text, it was written fifty years ago, and that has now become fact instead of just dogma or a right. set of belief structures right they're replacing fact theory dogma they're all becoming interspersed words and that's so bad yes. um, and just oh, so yeah. wrong but yeah excellent well, point well people Maybe say it's it's, a, it's, a, it's in the bible or you know, and then i say which translation right because <laughs> it, it depends right don't but moving king, on don't say moving king on. james Yes, that's the it's the best one. We should put it on our altars. Next section is uh, the four worlds of the Kabbalah. So after you get used to that tree of life, well, then you realize there's you can stack tree of lives on top of each other, and uh, you actually have a four tiered system of the different worlds of the Kabbalah, and to, that's a whole different podcast in itself. Uh, but the bottom of those four worlds is uh, the world of Asiya. So that is the practical world, the world of earthly pleasures and impulses, right? So directly related to Malkuth, directly related to the material world. Um, this also relates to the symbolism of the square in Albert Pike's works. So you might see symbolism, earth represented as a square or, and or earth represented as a cube, right? So that's, that's another way to think about it. Why? Joe just talked about uh, these cultures found earth to be the stable grounding force. And so what's more stable than a cube? Like, you know, just, just boom, sitting there on the ground. Um, so that's, that's what the, the four worlds then, you know, another thing that I, I find interesting too, uh, there is a term called, um, let me find it here. When I was looking at the, other systems there is also a system of of the souls having five levels right so their uh, early jewish kabbalists um went beyond like the um the tripartite concept of the soul that we kind of stick to uh, in, in a lot of christian contexts uh, the jewish kabbalists had five five levels and they also have start kind of at a grounding level and and have different i guess you could call them like stages of enlightenment right moving up the spiritual plane and so um the the basic one of those is nefesh that's the lowest and most basic aspect of the soul and this part of the soul is what gives us the ability to move eat breathe and reproduce right so this is um in this category we're really talking about the like the reptilian nature our you know food reproduce fight you know those those basic things that are before our prefrontal cortex gets involved. I was going to say bulldog nature. Yes, instead of just nature. Yeah. My, my three do that all the yes. time. Right. So Keep going. this is great. Yeah. Yeah. Keep so, going. um, so again, I, I, you know, I find that correlation there as well, uh, to be an interesting, um, concept. And then, um, 
And then, so then we have, let's see, what else do we have here? I'm just looking, comparing my notes. We've talked about Pardes. Oh, and then let's tie this Masonically, right? Um, we really have four levels of our Masonic being. So we actually have the profane world and then the three degrees. And so before you, you go up, you know, from a, a being brought to light perspective, right? You have to start out as a profane, right? You start out, um, knowing about the outside world or what you know from masonry uh, exoterically before you can then be brought in and, and see masonry esoterically from youtube uh, or tiktok yes from yeah. yes it's gotta gotta get on mason talk best place to learn about masonry it is it really really is so you guys but, are you guys are being facetious right yes because it's yes. shitty <laughs> it's it's not the greatest place well to let's get back let's let's just put, all right let's My bad. on that let's let's no. Let's do it. Let's keep going. Say the thing. Uh, well, so I know Robert, you've also had some thoughts about the Masonic application of of Earth as well. well yeah, you know, we'll so we, you. we dived. We, we dived. Jesus, we dove so we 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 dive so crazy into You're some of these topics. The we, we, there. Yeah, we we totally get lost. I think in um, in the weeds, but the good kind of weeds, right? Because we're all about understanding like the nuances and where all these things come from and how we can kind of connect them all. And uh, you know, as I'm looking through our notes, I'm like, well, wow, we really don't have anything masonic, you know, about the symbolism of of Earth. But it is there. We we mention Earth a few times. I think that's very important during the ritual. Um, and I'm not breaking anything under my obligations, so don't come at me with that. But uh, we talk about the clay grounds between Succoth and Zeradatha, or some people say the second town uh, differently. Um, we talk about the clay grounds, right? And this is interesting because we talk about what clay represents uh, later on in the degrees. Um, we also have uh, the idea of, of clay we mentioned earlier in some of those uh, ideas of where man comes from you know uh, there's 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 a native american tradition of a man being made of clay uh and the four winds are breathed into him um and, and this you know alluding to the four cardinal virtues uh i mean oh, sorry cardinal directions um and whatnot and so th that's interesting but also something that i find really uh cool is within masonry we have the Without a doubt, you know, I've said it a bazillion times, and I think everybody pretty much agrees that there, there is an element of masonry that is unquestionably a death rite. And so within this concept is the idea that we say, from it we came and so to it we shall sooner or later return. And this idea is really interesting to me on a, on a level of, of science, right? Specifically talking about um, thermodynamic, thermodynamics. So when we talk about entropy, the enclosed system, the, the proliferation of chaos, and then it's, you know, the idea that it, it has to contain within a, a system, a contained system, we have this idea of, of the, uh, what, I don't know, probably... Uh, Theosophical folks might call vital energies or whatever have you this idea that the vital energy, the life force breathed into, we'll call it the instrument, the human being with a blade of grass or whatever, uh, tends to live and then the, the, the vital energy uh, moves on, right, and leaves behind uh, the remains which are then recycled and used again. To, to form the basis of the next thing. And so 
within masonry, we have this idea of the cyclical uh, life, you know, the cyclical life essence that, that, you know, the circle of life, if you want to go Lion King with it. Um, and then also uh, just that it's just quite poetic because it, it, tie, it does tie back to the, uh, the arc of seasons and regeneration that we see in a lot of the earlier mysteries, which of course, masonry pulls from uh, oh, yeah. liberally. We take the best of the best and leave the rest like a salad bar. Sizzler, but no, yep. you, <laughs> yes, Sizzler, two ninety nine salad bar, but uh, no, you, you that was fa that was fantastic, and and you actually made me sound like uh, John now because I can't form a thought. But um, what I was going to say was it's it's interesting that you touched on something talking about seasons and when that starts to play into our understanding of the world around us. Most of those stories and most of those lessons i guess you could call them they come way later right after sun worship after animism um we could do, probably do a whole show on animism um and the understanding like john said of you know that we come from the earth and this is where we first are and let's try to understand everything around that things like cycles and stuff like that those start to crop up a little bit later uh you know in the human timeline um and sun card is now getting banned for that comment So there, there's another one that I forgot, another correspondence I forgot, um, that uh, we went this far and we didn't even talk about like the zodiacal signs, right? So you have um, the four elements tied to uh, th what, three each of the zodiac sign or of the, to of the 12 zodiac uh, signs. So if you look at the earth signs, the earth signs are um, Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn. And what's interesting is when you look at how that is interpreted, those signs, people under those signs actually have these kind of material or grounding qualities as well. Again, these are all blanket statements, right? Everyone's unique. These are just kind of like defaults. And I, and I think it's an interesting little passage here that um, the, the earth signed uh, people are sens sensuous and responsive. They understand and respect material things, including nature. They are attuned to reality and they get things done. So um, they're detail oriented, down to earth, cultivated, grounded, practical people and generally. I am not an earth sign. You, you, made, not really, you made an interesting um, kind of, I don't know, allusion to the, the, the Zodiac there. And it made me think because you talked about your paper for the SRICF earlier. Uh, so this concept of New Jerusalem, a 1,500-mile cube by 1,500-mile, uh, you know, thing that is supposed to arrive on the Earth. No doubt a bright, shining cube, which says uh, has 12 gates, but alternate translations might assume that it travels through 12 gates, which are the zodiac to arrive on the planet um so you know for well, what it's worth so a cube would have enjoy. 12 gates right because a cube would have six sides but mm -hmm. then there's there's two there's a obverse and a converse to each side yeah the direction you go you flux through those sides of the cube so you could have 12 possible ingress egress points of a cube 12 gates 
You got me thinking. I like it. Good. Okay. Until space time folds on itself. Hypercube. Hypercube. Tesseract. Nice. Yeah. So, um, so that's just a little taste of like some of these correspondences. I'm sure there's many, many more, but, um, again, one thing that I appreciate is when you pull from these different symbolic sources, um, that have been throughout history, right. They, they tell similar stories again, across cultures. And that's what blows my mind is how, you know, you can take this same symbolism of earth from an Eastern culture and compare it to a Western culture that possibly never met, or maybe they did, or maybe it was all ancient aliens. We don't know, but, um, but they have similar things. That's where I threw up kind of the, the intelligent design kind of um, thought idea, right? In, in the purest sense that maybe that's why there is something in our nature that we, we have a hard time expressing it, these abstract concepts. And so we're going to, you know, put them in, in these, these categories, depending on what, what's familiar with our culture, right? And they say like, uh, there's, there's many ways to get to the top of the, of the mountain, many paths to get to the top of the mountain. And so that's just the way that anti-dogmatic, sir. Sorry. No All right. one likes what you just said, which translation, that's what I want to know. So, <laughs> so it's, it's how that culture, um, understands these, these basic, uh, characteristics of, of applying these classical elements. I think that's, that's an interesting. But again, when, even when you say that, and I know you don't mean it that way, but even when somebody says something like you just said, we, it gets ascribed a certain level of, of naivety, right? Like that. Oh, people understand things in the way that they understand them because they were dumber or because they were, yeah, not, or, yeah. and that's the general inclination. And I know it's not you saying that, cause I know you don't believe that, but going all the way back to Robert's point about, People 8,000 years ago, they didn't know what a quanta was, right? And they didn't know what entanglement was, but they did a pretty damn good job of ex explaining phenomena that we now have ascribed names to with the vocabulary and the understanding that they had. So kudos to them, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, again, uh, if you've seen my uh, uh, CircumPunk presentation, you know, in, in a tiled session, right, that there's things that there's diagrams that the ancients have have drawn on walls that really describe things that we see now at the cellular uh, level and then they knew what the symbol of masonic green beans were all the way back in the day uh, i'll give you a symbol sun card <laughs> the one of joe awesome well hey this has been this has been great uh anything else before we start to wrap things up and do the the final question i think the only thing that you didn't touch on which I wanted you to touch Please, on. Please, yeah. That would keep us. Was um, a lot of people in the chat were talking about geometry and how mm. this relates to geometry and stuff like that. And and I, I made an off the cuff comment about Plato. I don't know why I have a pen in my hand like I'm doing a lecture. Um, I'm not. But uh, you know, look at um, <laughs> look at the Platonic solids. And you guys were talking about the cube. So Earth was represented by the cube. You know, in the five original Platonic solids that Plato came up with, right? Um, or, ah, look at that. That's an awesome cube with a triangle in it. I know that guy. He's awesome. And it's got a thing inside of it, too, that's even more awesome. But, um, you know, the original five platonic solids, the cube, it's not the simplest of the platonic solids, right? It's got more sides and more corners than the tetrahedron. 
I would say. But yeah, Earth is absolutely represented by the cube in more than just Greek Euclidean culture. So kudos to you. Well, now I had to go find it, right? So here we go, uh, looking at the platonic solids with some correspondences there. So you can see the Earth right there in the middle. Six faces, eight points, 12 edges, but uh, represented as a cube. Maybe we'll bring this back for the other the other elements next week. It's a rainbow. It's so pretty. It is. Awesome. Okay. Uh, anything else we missed? Anything else that you have to get in to this episode before we start to wrap things up? Okay. Nope. I showed my slide, which was representative of the foundation stone. Nice. Very nice. Okay. So final question of the day, which is what does the classical element of the earth mean to you personally, given all of this context, given the flavor that, you know, there's no wrong answers here because it's what it means to you. Starting with Joe. Wow. You're welcome. You're welcome. (laughs) Shocker. Awesome. So, um, Number one, I love the earth element. I think it, it goes all the way back to, for me, it, it speaks to our story of creation, right? And, you know, I probably said it four times in this episode and 10 times in last week's episode, but, you know, you have an amazing creation narrative like you find in, for example, the book of Genesis, where it talks about the four elements right there in the second chapter, um, where people would not normally look for the four elements. Um, but they're there and they speak to you. And for me, again, like John said, earth is that, that foundation, um, that place where we start and that place where we come from. Uh, and if you think about it, we, we do come from the earth, you know, the stuff that makes us up is found in the earth. Um, we just get some little extra magic fire spirit stuff and then that makes us awesome. So, um, for me, it's, it's a good foundation and, uh, yeah, I'm done. Nice. Bye. Bye. Still waiting for you to get your special sauce. Over to Robert. Let's say you. Hmm. What, what does Earth mean to you? Well, I don't know. I think maybe for me, it just is representative of the uh, the beginning of a sort. Right, it's the first step of the journey. Um, all of those things. I do wonder about just how arbitrarily we as a species have organized these into their, their order, for instance. Like, is it the first? Is it the second? Did the primordial sea come first? The cosmic ocean, Abzu, or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I'm not sure that that really matters. I, I think in this context, I, I really wouldn't look at the ground as like a starting point maybe or of anything else other than to say for, for a human, um, it is it's where we live. Um, I look at it both philosophically um, as a, a grounding point to uh, make sure that I'm always, you know, keeping one foot here on terra firma when I'm in my esoteric studies, um, recognizing it as the halfway, um, you know, the, it's, it's the pH on the negative to the pH on the high, right? It's, it's that base point between two worlds. Um, and so, in a, in a more practical way, um, 
I also respect the idea of those four elements in their cor- kind of like, I don't know, hippy dippy, uh, new age kind of way, um, in the practical sense of like, uh, taking care of the planet, renewable energies, um, all of those things. So, uh, it plays a large part of my life. Um, and I think it plays a large part in a lot of people's lives, whether they want to recognize it and call it for what it is or not. Man, you're right, Joe. It is hard to go after Robert. <clears throat> Look at the yeah. Flammarion engraving. That's pretty neat. There you go. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, let's see over to me. Then the final thought I had on that was, when I think about the different levels of, of what the classical elements mean, it'll make more sense as we go deeper. Um, but earth is that grounding thing. And so there are times where we're going to be in different modes. Like you're not, you're not going to stay completely grounded. You're not going to stay completely into the, you know, your astral projection kind of, kind of state of mind. You're just going to be, you're going to be going between them. So uh, when I think of like, what does that, that classical element of earth mean? That's, that's the application of like, when I'm at work, when I'm in the flow zone, when I'm just focused on my job, right, my vocation, then I'm focused on that. When I'm when I'm trying to plan for you know my financial future, that is a material thing. That is not a spiritual endeavor per se, right? So um, I'm in I'm at times in those elements where I'm trying to focus on planning. I'm focused on um, doing well at my job. You know, trying to make sure that I, you know, make all my customers happy, make sure that I, you know, um, get paid and get paid well for it. Like that, that is, um, how I'm kind of channeling into the best part of focusing on the here and now on the material plane. Um, try to do it for the right reasons. And as well as realize that there's a time to disassociate from that and to say, there's more to life than work. For example, there's more to life than, um, than trying to get wealth. So, um, it's, it's a grounding nature as well. So that's that's how I start to use it, apply it, think about it, and, and try to apply it symbolically. So awesome. Well, this was great. I want to thank you all very much for watching. We'll see you next week and keep searching for more light. Have a good night. Wow. 